And welcome into the Scoop on Life. I'm Chase with Lauren, and we are thrilled to be back with you. It is the first Tuesday of 2021. We've taken the last few weeks off, uh, enjoyed the holidays, hope you had a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we are so excited to be back uh, with more of the Scoop on Life as we continue our conversation on um, really all of life, from womb to tomb, and the importance of being pro-life. And today, we turn our attention to prison ministry, uh, to caring for the incarcerated. And we're excited uh, to start that today. This is part one of a two-part episode as we talk about prison ministry. And we've got three guys who uh, will be sharing with us who go and minister in our local county jail. That is Jason King, Nathan Acock, and Ryan Howard are going to sit down with us uh, to talk about prison ministry. Uh, But before we get to the interview, um, you may be wondering, like, how is, what what importance does prison ministry play in being pro-life? Well, we're going to get to that in the interview, um, but I want you to think with me for just a second. If Jesus were on earth today, who would he be with? Who would he be spending his time with? Would we find him in the prisons talking and and eating with uh, the most loathed criminals and outcasts? Of course we would. He would be there to seek and save the lost and to restore them. You think of the story of Zacchaeus. He was a tax collector and he heard Jesus was coming to town. And what does Jesus do? He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to eat with you. I'm going to spend time with you. We would find him ministering to those in prison. That is why prison ministry is so important, and that is why we chose to talk about that side of of being pro-life for the next two episodes. So sit back with me, enjoy our interview with Jason King, Nathan Acock, and Ryan Howard on prison ministry. So uh, Jason, I'm going to start with you. What exactly uh, do you do at the jail uh, to minister and to serve the inmates there, and really why, why do you do that? Okay, we, we are a Thursday night ministry. We come in uh, seven-ish on Thursdays, and we go back to as many sections as we can, depending on how many people that we have to minister there, and we take the Word of God. You know, we believe that uh, the gospel is the only thing that's going to bring life, and so um, we focus on the Word of God. Um, as to why, uh, in a lot of ways, I could relate to them. I've been, I've been in the world. I have uh, uh, been bound by the alcohol and some of the other things that uh, will rip families apart, will um, you know destroy marriages, and um, I've lived through some of that. And so I believe that's why God brought me to this, uh, to this ministry. And um, one of the passages i'm gonna i'm gonna use a passage here because it's one that i think uh, god put on my heart when i started this and and it's still on my heart now and i use it a lot of times while i'm in there but it's the passage of lazarus and when jesus uh raises him up from the dead but it's it's really the part where jesus comes and martha meets him out there and says you know if if uh, you'd have been here my brother wouldn't have died and jesus said your brother will live again and she said i know that he'll live again in the resurrection in the last day and a lot of people equate you know life or eternal life 
um, with one day in the future. But Jesus brought her back right now. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I want, I want people to have life right now. And he was about to prove that. And he told them to, to roll the stone away. And then this is the part that, that sticks with me. Martha said, uh, but he's been dead four days and there's going to be a stench. And yet Jesus continued on. You know, and for those guys in the jail, a lot of them have been there over and over. A lot of them have done some pretty, pretty bad things. And even a lot of them, their family has written them off and would say, leave that stone there. There's no reason to, to move that thing. They're better off in there. You know, that they're, they're, the stench is too strong. But yet Jesus still raised Lazarus from the dead, you know. And I, I look at my life, and that's what I see with me. I mean, I can relate to them. I had that worldly stench, you know, and yet Jesus told me to come forth. And so... Um, using that passage, I'd say that's why we do what we do. Yeah, for sure. And and Nathan, um, our podcast is um, we talk about caring for life, all of life, even the incarcerated. Um, so, what does the Bible say that kind of fuels you about caring for and loving those in prison? So, when I think the think of the term pro life, um, just on the surface, pro life means you're for life. Like you, you care about somebody. You're, you, uh, you're, you want their good. You're seeking their good. You're loving people. And so, to be pro-life means you're trying to uh, seek the good of someone else. Um, and so, when we're, we we want to, we should be pro-life for the unborn. Um, but man, these guys in the in, that we meet in jail, a lot of them, they've had some, they've had some rough lives. Um, there's not a whole lot inside of them that's that's lovely. Uh, so we deal with a lot of people that are addicts and drug addicts and have had, you know, just years and years of addictions, um, people coming from broken families and people that have done some really bad things. And so, um, the, I guess the question is, uh, are these people still lovely to Christ, to God? And I would say, yes, these people have the image of God in them. And that Christ loves these loves these people, and that we, me personally, and that as a church, we should care about these people too, in the same way that we care about the unborn, the same way that we care about other members of our our family, even like like we should care about these people because Jesus cares about them. And so the fact that that Christ loves these people um, makes us want to make makes us should we should love these people too. And so I feel like in some ways, whether or not we care about um, the people that are not lovely, the people that don't have a whole lot of value or utility on the outside, um, that's a pretty good litmus test whether we're actually pro-life or not. And I was just looking up some stats and some facts about um, those incarcerated. And, you know, we talk, we've talked for several weeks about being pro-life, as you mentioned, according to the unborn, caring for orphans and widows. And as the podcast continues, we'll talk about other factors as well. But one thing that I was... Um, you know, challenge when I was looking up some of this stuff is how these men, um, especially that are incarcerated, how it affects their family, how it affects their kids. And um, according to the National Fatherhood Institute, um, 92% of incarcerated parents are the father. And so according to this research, um, the number of children with an incarcerated father grew 79% between 1991 and 2007. That's a huge number. So then to say, okay, what effect does that then have on those kids? Um, and then according to the U S census, 19.7 million children 
So it's more than one in four live without a father in the home, whether it's biological, step, or adoptive. Okay, so it's huge numbers. So I was, you know, I was wondering what's the what's the effect there. So continue to look up um, National Fatherhood Institute again proved to show a lot of research, um, but it says that these youth without a father in a home obviously have a significantly higher odds of being incarcerated themselves. Um, they're seven times more likely to face or be part of teen pregnancy. So then you have the question of what is this? It's a cycle, right? It's a cycle of what is this teenager going to choose, whether it's the, the mother of the baby or the young man who caused her to be pregnant. You know, what are they going to choose? How are they going to, how are we going to help them choose to be pro-life? And so seven times more likely to face teen pregnancy, two times more likely to drop out of high school, significantly more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol themselves, more likely to face abuse and neglect, and um, also to have a four times greater risk of poverty. So we look at this, and that's a lot of stats, but to say, okay, this 92% of incarcerated parent being a father, um, what does the father factor really look like? And it's a significant, significant um, issue that then these youth are dealing with by the result of their father being in prison. So one thing that led me to want to just have a discussion about is, you know, y'all have an opportunity on Thursday night, as you said, Jason, to go in, share the gospel, you know, be, be sharing the word with these men um, in prison, but then let's say maybe either this person trusts Christ or maybe they don't, you just continue that relationship with them. Um, is there any ways that y'all are able to have conversations with them about the effects it's having on their family or to better equip them as a father once they are released from prison? Like, what does that continued care look like so that when they when they are out of prison that they're then able uh, or better equipped um, to serve their family? You know, as we see these these crazy stats, you know, almost like you said, Nathan, you were saying the cycle, like to break the cycle, I guess, you know, what like what are your thoughts? Well, there's only a few of us. OK, so there's not a lot of opportunity to uh, speak with them one-on-one a lot of times if there's time at the end we will and we'll get those opportunities to talk about things like that and there's not much opportunity to talk to them on the outside either Uh, so again what we focus on there primarily is getting the word in them now Um, you know man can't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds you know from the mouth of the uh, lord so uh, getting this word in them and hopefully you know, you know, and through our messages, through the preaching, um, you know, and some of this is interjected what you're talking about and, and maybe that will change, you know, the gospel will change their life so that, uh, they will go back and, and be that better father. And you're right. I ask this question a lot while I'm in there and I'll get them to raise hands sometimes. And, um, you know, how many of you have gotten out of here and you've said to yourself, I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to do better. I'm not going to, because they know, they know this is affecting their life and destroying their life. And almost all of them will raise their hand. And a lot of times there'll be some young guy in there that'll tell me he's in there for the first time. I'm not ever coming back. And I already know that most of the time he's going to be back. And this is nothing new. I don't believe, I think, uh, even all the way back in Joshua, and I'm going to bring the scripture back into this again, but even when Joshua uh, gave his famous speech in, in chapter t- 24 and said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, you mentioned a choice. And you know he told them, choose this day whom you're going to serve. And he said, whether it be the gods that your father served on the other side of the river, 
or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell now. And just prior to that, the verse before that, he urged them, put away the gods that your fathers served and serve the Lord. And so even then, you know, a lot of times the, the gods that your fathers served are going to be the same gods that the children serve. And they fall in the same steps. You know, if your dad's an alcoholic, a lot of times you become an alcoholic. And so that's why we see the stats that we that we see that you just read off, you know, that um, they're going to, the crime rate's going to be higher for fatherless children. The, uh, just about everything, the dropout rate in, in school, you name it. And um, the stats are going to be higher for the fatherless. And I think, you know, again, this is nothing new. Right. Um, the, uh, the last time that I was in jail, when, when I go in, I always like to uh, just bring a sheet of paper and let the inmates write down their name in a prayer request. Um, just so I can pray for him. And uh, there was one guy that wrote down uh, a kind of a lengthy prayer request. And, and one of the things that he, he added was that he said he had 10 kids and that his life had been a disaster and he hadn't been there for his kids and he, he wanted God to change him. Um, and so when I read that and, and I, I talked to him a little bit about it the, the next week, you know, at first I'm, I'm a, I get a little angry. Like he's had 10 kids. And he's not there for him. Like, what's going on with those kids? You know, like that is a huge problem in society and and for those kids' lives. Um, but then a little while later, I was thinking, you know, he probably was one of those ch- children that was growing up without a dad, and that's why he's in there. So, I mean, if you if you think about the statistics and you you think about all the different societal uh, pro- societal influences that that are involved in this. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking, and also it can seem very hopeless in some ways. And so, um, truly, the only hope that, that to deal with any of this is the gospel of Jesus Christ coming into these men and changing their lives. That's really the only hope that that's going to have to to affect these lives. I believe. Well, and um, if there's not, I guess if y'all could talk about why there's not. But is there any way for y'all, you know, if if this said guy, you know, with 10 kids, I'll save and say that guy, you know, was released from prison. Is there any way for y'all to have follow up with him, um, to be able to walk alongside with him, maybe even as a church member, as a church with him and his family, or is that just not possible? And if not, like, why not? No, I think absolutely. Once they get out, we would, we definitely want them to try to come and engage. We would, we, they ask, they ask us often what church we go to, um, where it is. And so, so we invite them to come to, to worship with us and we would definitely be open for that. We have to be very careful, um, to, with how we engage with them and engage with their families while they're locked up, um, just based on some, some regulations, you know, uh, from the jail themselves. So we're primarily going in to try to share the gospel with them. But once they get out, um, yes, we would love to, to develop a way to, to meet with them and continue to encourage them and love them. And that is part one of our interview with Jason King, Nathan Acock, and Ryan Howard as we discuss prison ministry here on the scoop on life thank you for tuning in this week as we get things back rolling here just a reminder to check us out on social media on facebook and instagram just search for the scoop on life like us and keep up to date with all we have going on with the show and uh, we'll be back next week with part two of our interview on prison ministry we'll see you next week